Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This message comes from Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Welcome to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a conversation with Michael Eric Dyson. The Vanderbilt University professor has always had his finger on the pulse of culture. His latest book, Entertaining Race, Performing Blackness in America, is a collection of his essays and speeches that have dealt with the roles blacks must play in every aspect of their lives. Mike, you, like I, am a lover of, of music. And when I took a look at the book and, and the title, I thought back to when we were kids when this came out. Uh, you remember the R&B group, The Fantastic Four? They had oh, a yeah. song called The Whole World is a Stage. Yeah. And everybody plays a part. And, and in a way, that's exactly what you're talking about in this book. Absolutely right. I mean, The Fantastic Four echoing Shakespeare. All the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Our, our players upon it, right? So we we were getting gut bucket and grassroots Shakespeare <laughs> through our music, man, uh, in such a fascinating fashion. But you're absolutely right. That's what I'm arguing. I'm arguing that time on this shore, Black people were forced to entertain white America. That's just what it was. On slave ships, on plantations, 
uh, in stages of many makings. And then we've been forced to entertain the idea of race. You know, we're we're out in the park just trying to have some barbecue and open. We got to deal with race. Uh, trying to sell some water on the street with our kids, race. Uh, lemonade uh, on the street, race. Uh, going into, you know, a coffee shop in Starbucks, race. Uh, in school, race. In the, uh, the, the politics, race. In the White House, race, race. White brothers and sisters and others of a certain mindset, you Black people are obsessed with race. No, we can't escape it because you always reminding us what time it is. And so we don't want to escape our blackness. We want to escape the racial limits you impose on it. We love being black, but in, in the eyes of distortion, that doesn't seem to satisfy those who have a negative stereotypical vision of who we are. And then thirdly, we've got to find entertaining ways to speak about race. You know, oh my God, here you people get and come with the same old thing. So your book, was a set of investigative interviews with human beings trying to tap, you know, the source of racial animus, blackness in this country. You had to find an interesting, innovative and entertaining way to come at the same old thing we've been trying to talk about, you know, forever. It's like that 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 preacher in the, in the church when people say you just preaching the same old sermon. He said you commit the same old sin. <laughs> so <laughs> when you finish committing the same old sin, I got a different sermon to preach. So that's what I meant. And you're right. We're constantly being asked to perform. We're constantly performing. Uh, we're engaging in all kinds of activities and gestures that that communicate our identities and our desires. Martin Luther King Jr. was a great performer. I mean, don't don't sleep on the fact that, as you know, down in Birmingham, Alabama, he and Fred Shuttlesworth and Andrew Young and a whole bunch of other uh, SNCC activists, men and women figured out if this buffoonish, um, you know, dictatorial commissioner of public safety named Bull Connor can be lured into exposing and revealing the, 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 the nastiness, the viciousness, and the barbarism with which he treats Black people, we can make some progress here. What happens? Water hoses are unleashed dogs are, you know, unleashed on black men and women and children. And during their dinner, many white folk were looking at this going, this is unacceptable. So King was a performer of social justice the same way John Lewis was, then Diane Nash and Septima Clark. So we're constantly performing. Lewis Armstrong, Duke Ellington, uh, Anita Baker, Aretha Franklin, Ed Gordon, Michael Eric Dyson, the average black person out here. Let me touch your hair. Is that your real paper? Did you really write that? Constantly performing levels and degrees of blackness uh, for, for ourselves and for the broader world. Here's the interesting part when I thought about this, and you and I have discussed this for decades now, quite frankly, Mike. Mm -hmm. But what is also unique about us that white folk don't have to deal with, because we all have this kind of facade we put on for the world. Right. right. So the Ed Gordon that I give to the public, there's that Ed Gordon. There's the Ed Gordon my friend knows, my friends know. And then there's the Ed Gordon that only I know. Right. 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 And, and maybe two or three, a handful of my closest people. Right. But we as black people not only have to perform for white people, we find ourselves in many corners performing for ourselves, our race. 
There's no how, question. How much more tiring is that in that we <laughs> often don't have a safe haven anywhere? We wear the mask, Paul Lawrence Dunbar said. My God. When can we pull it off? When can we stop? When can we, you know, stop? <laughs> yes, ma'am. No, sir. When can we, even among our, with our children, don't want to see him. I'm Ed Gordon. I can't let my kids see me vulnerable. Uh, you know, I'm Michael Dyson. I can't, I can't, I got to stand up. I got to be a man. I got to be a woman. I got to, you know, be a leader. I've got to show that I'm impervious to these insults, right? And then- And, and then you, you have to be either blacker or less black, depending exactly. on your audience. How do I calm it down? How do I curb it? How do I shape it? How do I get over to white folk? How do I tell jokes to make them feel at ease so that they won't be upset? How do I get on the elevator knowing the white woman is looking at me thinking, oh my God, is my life going to end? How do I talk about it when people cross the street when they see me? How do I talk to my kids about, you know, the police? I mean, the performance of blackness is darn near infinite. And as you said, it's excruciating. And it's not just to the dominant culture, it's to ourselves, it's among ourselves, it's between ourselves, the politics of respectability. How can I expose who I am? How can I you know, draw it back in? How do some people say I'm keeping it real and perform a kind of um, you know, blackness that they think is real? And yet, what has it been informed by? You know, why is it that young Dolph is getting killed? Why is it that they're beefing in the hip hop? Why is it that the, the display of toxic masculinity becomes a trope? of authenticity in an art form that is ostensibly about the blackest realities we confront, the contradictions, the conflicts, trying to act as if you're something that you're not. I was looking the other day at the, at the interview that you conducted with Suge Knight, Michael Eric Dyson, <laughs> Danielle Smith, and mm -hmm. Kevin Powell. Wow! Yeah. I mean, I mean, what, what a moment of multiple levels of performance. We were talking about a guy who essentially had to perform a level of authenticity when he was interested in white rock music and chilling with his girlfriend and discussing his acting abilities and his wide reading in the history of photography. Tupac, but he's got to perform the hardcore thug. Now, I'm not saying that that performance is any less authentic than the performance of his other elements, but one dominates the other. But the night that you did the interview with us and Suge Knight and Kevin Powell and Danielle Smith, and you had to step in and be a policeman, essentially, to say there are certain rules and respect that should be shown here. And you were courageous in asserting that necessity. And then we look at young Dolph and we look at, you know, all these young men who are dying, you know, and I get hit up by famous entertainers going, Doc, what can we do? You got you to gotta help us stop this. And on the one hand, I fight about this all the time. I defend young Black people. I write about hip hop. I say that Black on Black crime is not a thing. It's, it's neighbor to neighbor carnage. You kill where you live. Poor white people kill poor white people, right? 93% of Black people who are killed are killed by Black people. 84% of white people who are killed are killed by white people. So we know that's true. Having said that, it is... It is, it is damaging, it is traumatic, it is destructive for us uh, to see black hands killing black hearts and lives, wiping it out, wiping us out 
uh, murdering us for whatever the reason is, for whatever the situation and circumstance is. And to see that carnage and to celebrate it and to commercially benefit from Black death and to circulate it as the basis of your existence. And then when it happens, rat-a-tat-tat, never hesitate to put a brother on his back. And here we are, death charges, death dealing, death fear, finality brought to us as a rite of passage of black masculinity. This is toxic. When we talk about toxic masculinity, that may be among the most toxic. That ain't usually what people are talking about, but that's what it is. Or beating up on a young lady. You're a football player with struggling with certain mental issues. Now, we know, I admit, the white boy who did the same thing didn't come out of the same uh, scrutiny. I get it. It's wrong. We should correct it. However, nobody should be hitting on a woman like that, mm-hmm. and nobody should be beating on a woman like that, And the price to be paid is pretty steep and should be in terms of both cultural indictment and, you know, uh, being held to account in a criminal justice system. But yet the people fighting against the over incarceration of black men then look at the deeds and gestures of certain aspects of black masculinity that are out of control, that are out of bounds. And what do you do? You got to figure out a way to think about it. That's why the performance of blackness is so critical. Who are we performing for? What audience are we looking at? What ideals do we nurture? And who do we hold to account? And who do we idolize as we as we make our way through the world of performing the blackness that is our life? Here's what's interesting. In, in the book, you, you call a number of your essays and speeches and, and you bring some pop culture to uh to illustrate what you speak of but it's over decades over years and then you have uh, an introductory uh essay that kind of ties it all together or introduces it if you will but i'm curious mike this as i describe it schizophrenia that black america has been having for decades do you think that we are at a point now, a breaking point? It seems to me that the world is on edge. We know that. It's not just black folk. The world is on right. edge. But I do think that we are now in such a tenuous place, uh, perhaps more than I can remember in, in my lifetime, uh, right. that I, I wonder what we have to do now because we can't go on like this. Oh, we can't. I mean, and you're so right. It's jacked up for us, but it's jacked up for everybody. America, the nation, the world is jacked up, but the world in which we live is so messed up. It reminds me of that Jay-Z line when he was talking about um, dealing with Cristal and the Cristal people didn't like black people. And he was like, oh, really? So let me come up with my own thing, Ace of Spades. One of the reasons Jay-Z is a billionaire is because of white supremacy. (laughs) It forced him to do his own thing, right? He says, there are bigger issues in the world I know but I first had to take care of the world I know, right? Mm -hmm. So the world that you know, I know there's bigger stuff, but this is the world I know, and this is where we operate. So the bigger issues in the world I know, but these issues that affect us affect the world. What Martin Luther King Jr., what Septima Clark, what Joanne Robinson, what Fannie Lou Hamer, what Diane Nash understood, what affects us affects everybody. This is the world in a nutshell. And if you so if you want to deny people the right to vote, it's going to affect more than black people. If you want to treat mistreat human beings because you think that they don't deserve a certain kind of education, it's not going to be quarantined to black people. It's going to affect your people as well. You think the violence 
that you celebrate when black people are hurting, are hurting and harming black people will will stay, uh, to, you know, quarantined to our community. No, it creeps out to the suburbs mm-hmm. as well. So we are dealing with human issues uh, in a way that need to be talked about. But, you know, when we look at the big lie that's being told, when we look at, you know, what happened with Donald Trump, black people tried to warn white folk. This is what happens when you bow down before a fascist who tells lies, who makes stuff up. Oh, if it's just you black people, all right. Oh, no. January 6th is about all of us. We in this boat together. Right. That was an attack on America, not just black people, although you're dragging the Confederate flag through the halls of Congress. You are showing that you are disloyal to the nation. What I've never understood about white folk mad at Colin Kaepernick, but celebrating the Confederate flag, you celebrate somebody who seceded from the nation. They didn't want to be part of your group. They said what y'all was doing ain't something we want to do. But you're mad at a guy who bows down in reverence, takes a knee and says, I want to show a respectful resistance to what I perceive to be problems in our communities, and he's the worst thing in the world. So what's interesting is that we are facing a crisis of explanation, of confidence, of self-respect, and understanding what the true goals of American democracy are. And it's not just about black versus right, it's about white, it's about right versus wrong. And what will uplift the nation and what will deepen us. So the problems, the predicaments, the conflicts, the conversations that Black people have that you conducted in your book are about the future of America, not just the future of Black people, though that's critical. It's about the nature of truth in a nation where Black people have worn from the very beginning. When you tell lies about who we are, when you stereotype us, when you make stuff up and say we stupid and dumb and unintelligent and don't work hard, those were lies equally as devastating as the lies now being told. But since they weren't being told about white people en masse, it was all right. Now they see what happens when a white guy, Donald Trump, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you call Mexicans rapists, all right. You call black people shit, okay. But now you're talking about us too? Now you're beating up on fellow Republicans? Oh my God, the, the mm-hmm. carnage and consternation. This is wrong. It was wrong when he was doing it to black people and brown people and Mexicans and the like. So many white brothers and sisters, like many of us, don't get moved until it happens to us, yeah. our community, our people, our tribe. And as a result of that, blackness is a gateway into an American identity that all of us have to grapple with. And the, tr- and the problems we're grappling with now, the failure of American citizenry to believe in its government, the failure of the government to be able to deliver critical resources in a time of crisis to vulnerable populations, the suspicion of politicians that we believe are inherently liars, and the inability of any side of the aisle to come to grips with the other side. Now, I happen to believe one side is more responsible, but at the end of the day, we got two people who are conservative Democrats named Cinema and Manchin who are roadblocking progress that could otherwise take place under a Democratic president who has both the Senate, 50-50 split though, and uh, the United States House of Representatives. So these complicated issues are often vetted within our community, but not seen as value uh, to the dominant world. You know, it's like, Ed, you and I, when we went to Fox Theater, when we went to uh, movie theaters, when we were kids coming up in Detroit, 
We could go to a movie theater and have ain't, ain't, ain't no black people in the movie. We crying, we talking, we moving, we clapping. I didn't see no black people in Willard with the rats. I even it wasn't even a black rat in there. It wasn't even a black rat. It was all white rats. <laughs> but we were like, oh my God, look at this. We could see universality in whiteness. Mm-hmm. White people have to see universality in our blackness and what we are and who we are. And our struggles are indeed. American struggles. When we come back, black empathy, staring down the White House and telling the truth, even when it's painful. message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. 
Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. I turned our conversation to finding new narratives in the fight for justice. So there are actors who concern themselves about being stereotyped and they want to take on different roles. How do we change the makeup? And I'll give you the example I use. I keep hearing people say that we've got to force things our way. We've got to demand from Joe Biden because we were the difference in him getting in office or being defeated. Yet, I see us doing the same things. I see legislation that we want not being put to the fore. Yet, when they need us for a photo op, here we are running to the White House and taking that picture. You and I have both had invitations to the White House. Let us not fool ourselves. That's heady right. stuff. Right. But if you're going to change this dynamic, you are then going to have to start to do things you haven't done before. Turn away that invitation to the you know South Lawn. Say no to the Christmas party. Say no until this is done. Do you see that in the future or is the human frailty going to stay up front? <laughs> That's a hell of a question. No, we ain't canceling the trips to the White House. No, it ain't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not going to go down. Uh, I'm going to go next week. No, the point <laughs> is, <laughs> no, that ain't happening. But what we do harbor and the challenge to us is when you get in the room, what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Are you amening? And are you echoing what was going on? Let me tell you what, let me be transparent here. So I had a meeting with um, President Biden, along with seven other renowned historians, intellectuals, and so on and so forth. And he's a sweet guy. He's very he empathetic. Is. He is absolutely person. all of those things. I mean, amazing. And he's genuine in trying to figure out what to do. Yes. So that's the kind of guy you can work with. You can go, ah, this ain't it. Like right here. I, I just disagree with you on that. I, I love your heart. I love what you're doing. I love your ambition. Uh, you are the first president, including the black one, to say that you owe black people your future. Because that black person did not say that. The black president didn't do that, dog. And, and he's a nicer guy than many of the other presidents have been. Nicer. Why does that make a difference? Because you're not arrogant. You're not condescending. You're not presumptuous that you're the smartest guy in the room. You know more about race or politics or culture. What was impressive to me about Biden is he's talking to scholars in their area, but he engaged each one of us after our presentation for like 15 minutes. Like we were thinking, all right, we'll do our thing. He'll say, oh, you know, good, 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 good. He's, he's actually asking questions, raising questions, because he doesn't assume he's the smartest guy in the room. He doesn't assume he already knows it. Maybe a black president thought the black president knew more about race than you did. Really? Because did you, did you make that an area of a study? I know you're black. I know you studied a lot of this stuff. But that wasn't your, you wasn't no African-American studies major, I don't think. I think you were doing law and constitution. That's great. But dog, just because you black don't mean you know black. Now, this guy, the first black president, knew a lot, could teach black studies. But when you, when you have that kind of presumption, you may not be as open to differing viewpoints about issues of race that others have delved deeply into. And that they weren't condescending in the same fashion. So at least with Joe Biden, you have an openness to engage this issue, but you got to have enough courage 
to say I disagree with you. So I don't think we should give up getting in the room. I think we should take it upon ourselves to have a lot more courage when we get up in there. Don't cheese and take the picture only. Cheese and take the picture. But also, <laughs> you got grandkids, dog. You got to show them something. <laughs> what you been doing, Papa? <laughs> but <laughs> you, got to, you got to say what I did is I had a conversation. Look at those conversations between Martin Luther King Jr. and LBJ. He was nice. Yes, Mr. President, it has been a struggle here. But at the same time, if we don't get this bill passed, we're not going to be. Well, now, 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 Dr. King, uh, you know, <laughs> so they go back and forth. You hear, ain't no fake. He on the, he on the phone call with the president. Nice, respectful, and insistent that things change. Now, Malcolm could never get no invitation. So he going he gonna to come hard on the outside. Look at you. Look at you. You've been bamboozled. You've been hoodwinked. Malcolm never had access to that kind of power. So we got the Malcolm standing on the outside, talking about everybody on the inside. That might be legitimate. Bringing pressure to bear, that might be legitimate. But you ain't going to change the law. Malcolm was great, but he changed perceptions. That was great. He changed perspectives. That was great. But he didn't change practice in terms of law. What we have to do is we have to make certain that you that that we take the spirit of a Malcolm to resist white supremacist seduction, but at the same time hold to account and to the, uh, the feet to the fire of those that we admire, and that includes, by the way, not only Joe Biden but Kamala Harris. That means that look, we appreciate you, we love you, we celebrate you, we know what difficult position you're occupying, but understand the difficult positions of the people who put you in the office. I can never acknowledge that what you face as the first black president is more important than what black people on the ordinary level face. I can never acknowledge that you the first black first vice president and a white man with tremendous um, skill and um, compassion and empathy for black folks. You ain't facing a harder problem than the average black person out here. So I can only cut you so much slack. It's a tough job. Ain't nobody forced it on you. You ran for it. You said, make me president, make me vice president. So at that level, you knew what the job entailed and you knew that we have to hold you to account and where we fell off. And let's be honest, if we're going to be brutally honest, we ain't do that with Obama. Ain't that we went do Now we look and I ain't one of those, those that didn't understand what he was up against, because you got to understand what the man was up against. Having said that, that can't be no excuse, bro, that we know what you up against. And Obama was skillful in deploying. Hey, this is what I'm up against against us. Right. He'd go to Morehouse College and beat us up and then go to Barnard and, and say, hey, I identify with you as a white woman. He didn't say, I don't want to hear nothing about no sexism and gender oppression. What you doing in your life to make sure you overcome what these men are trying to do? That's what he said to black people in regard to race. So we have to be honest about it. Even though he was beautiful, we loved him. We had, I was a surrogate for him twice. But I, I, I distinguished being a surrogate to get him in office and to hold him to account. And to this day, they ain't feeling me. You know, people think, oh, Michael Eric Dyson, you're famous intellectual, but they don't fail me. They don't invite me to their stuff. I'm not bitching and complaining. I'm saying what it is. For y'all out there thinking, oh, my God, we're all in a kumbaya. It ain't a kumbaya moment because Obama and yeah. his people get mad when you challenge them, too. They ice you out as a black person, too. They exclude you from their circle of privilege, too. And let me let me let me even I'm, I'm going to reveal this on the Ed Gordon show. I ain't never told nobody else, and I never said this in public. I was at an event the other day. This is a true story. 
And I was speaking for the NAACP. And they had secured um, permission from the Obamas. They had had a contact, a third person who knew them well, that they were going to sign books and send three of them. They found out who the keynote speaker was. And they cut them. They no longer were willing to participate and send the books for free. That's petty. Like, I'm going to call it, that's petty, right? That's petty. Let's be bigger than that, broader than that. If you don't like what I did and said about you, the book I wrote, I get it. But this is how we don't make progress. This is this is young Dolph on the high bourgeois set. This is black on black crime at levels we don't often see that we're not often we don't often speak about. Now, you as Ed Gordon, I'm sure you've pissed some people off and they keep you out. I'm Mike guys, I'm pissing people. All right, look, I'm doing real well. Mm-hmm. I ain't complaining about that, but I'm being honest about how this stuff works behind the scenes. And even some people watching this not see, he's been all jealous. I ain't mad. I ain't trying to go to none of their chicken dinners. I ain't trying to go nowhere. I'm on to the next one. I'm doing what I do. But I'm telling you the truth about how it operates. If we want to talk about how it's a criminal act, and it should be, for young Black people to hurt each other, look how Black people of note and worth and power treat each other too. All of that is intertwined in a very serious fashion. I would agree with you 100%. I would also say, though, Mike, before I move on just to the broader picture of race, in that we have to learn how to hold one another accountable without being called a sellout, without being disinvited to a picnic. I have said, I said it in the book, I have said that we need to start doing that with our leadership. Yes, I think we do a lot of press conferences. I think that the, the, the folk who have taken on those mantles are earnest. I think that they uh, are out there 24-7 in a good fight, but I do think the needle has not moved in a way that it should, and we have to find out and also lend ourselves to assist in better ways of moving that needle because we are losing too many people. That It can't be better stated than that. All I want to say is amen. This is like C.L. Franklin preaching. I went, amen. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're telling the truth right there, sir. Um, and calling each other sellout, handkerchief head. I disagree with you. You a Tom. Come on, bro. Now, there are times. And there, there are, are times. That's exactly right. Heads, and but I'm we can't conflate that with someone who simply disagrees with you. And right? That's why culture is a monster, bro. Yeah. And I know I will get on that, but black people, be careful and wary about cancel culture. You the canceler today, you're going to be the canceler tomorrow. Let me ask you this before we let you go, Mike. In, in terms of just the overall, overall picture of race, I don't think that there's any right-minded person. And again, you don't have to agree with me politically, but it right. is hard for me to accept anyone who can look at this country in its present state and not know that we are a racist country. When that, when that question was put to Kamala Harris, yeah. she walked right. around it. We are, yeah. America is, and has always been a racist country. It's been That's built right. on racism. It flourishes because of racism. Uh, right. And we see it day in and day out, whether it be verdicts in courtrooms, whether it be uh, people allowed to skate for white collar crimes and people of color being put away for decades for minor offenses. That's uh, right. Simply because of the color of their skin. So let me ask you, I, I let, let's lift the curtain a little bit. 
When right. you were brilliant, uh, most recently on Bill Maher's show, I sent you a text. And I right. said to you, you know, you start to see where America is when someone who has been deemed a liberal thinker like Bill Maher starts right. to suggest that, well, well, come on, guys, look at the advancements we've made. Yeah, right. but you're not the oppressed. <laughs> we right. appreciate it, but it ain't there yet, and it ain't time to slow down. How do you see where we are in its totality, Mike? Now, that's a great point. And I'm going to tell you what I love about Bill Maher. Now, me and Bill Maher, as you saw on that program, we fighting like cats and dogs. But he's a sweet, good-natured human being. I know a lot of people are like, oh, my God, what? And he allows viewpoints that a lot of Black people have that wouldn't ordinarily get amplified without mm -hmm. his platform, even if he's going to argue against you. I ain't mad. Mm -hmm. Give me all your... I, I don't ask you to agree with me. Just give me some space and opportunity. And then you're going to tag team me with your boy, Glenn Lowry. <laughs> Glenn Lowry went on Twitter like an adolescent and said, uh, the people have spoken. Uh, I won the de Dyson had more time, but I, I had more substance. Than something I won the debate. Negro, please. <laughs> In what world, bro? Come on, dog. Mm -hmm. They dusted you off, brought you out the tombs and the catacomb. Nobody, you know, Larry, who is he? So many people was like, who is that guy? Mm -hmm. Right. And I showed him respect, you know, and afterward I told him, I said, Professor Lauer, I've read every word you've ever written. You know what he said to me? This is with me, him, and Bill Maher um, after the show. He said, I wish I could say the same. He said, maybe I've skimmed some mm -hmm. of your work. How can you be a serious intellectual and say that? It ain't even about Michael Eric Dyson, but I done wrote books that have been on the New York Times bestseller list, seven of them, if you want to take that measure. If you want to take academically uh, rigorous, there are some of my books that would qualify for that. If you want to talk about public facing scholarship, in other words, and whatever, but I've been a significant and influential figure. And for you to just dismiss me, like I didn't skim a couple of yours. You, you ain't doing me no disfavor. Mm -hmm. You're revealing the lack of credibility and the pedigree of your mind that you like an algorithm on, on the social media. Only people who agree with you is who you read. I don't disagree with John McWhorter, but I read him smart guy. I don't agree with, um, uh, Glenn Lowry, smart guy. I'm a reader. So that kind of, you know, fetishization of my own particular perspective is what is deeply problematic. And to use him as a voice piece to suggest it ain't as bad as y'all think it is out there and everything and about race. That's why I said, let me give you some contemporary issues. Derek Chauvin, that was last year, bro. That ain't 50 years ago. So yes, we are living in a racist country. And I know that Kamala Harris was caught in a tough position. Jesus, I'm the vice president. I'm going to run for president either in three years or in seven years. So I can't, you know, the first thing they're going to play back, this is a racist nation. <laughs> That's who you want for president? Mm -hmm. So come on. We, we know what time it was. But there are ways in which Black people have always signified. Like, no, it's not a racist country. <laughs> no, but I tell you what, it's not a racist country. We've made tremendous progress, but there are some persistent inequalities that we have to address. Because we don't need the commercial. We just want the product. Mm -hmm. See, asking Kamala Harris about if this is a racist nation is the commercial. Asking her what she will do to render the problem moot and to challenge white supremacy is the product. So use your office, leverage your authority to address the, the inequities that prevail. This is a, but see, you and I are free enough. Isn't this ironic? We're freer than the president. We're freer than the vice president. We're freer than people who are bound to say things. That's why we still have a role. That's why comedians like Dave Chappelle have a role, whether you like him or not. 
he's saying stuff and challenging stuff that a lot of people don't want to hear, that might be upset by, that we might find offensive. So comedians, critics, um, uh, talk show hosts, media heads, intellectuals, we have a responsibility. Poets, artists, to tell a truth that cannot be mimicked or mirrored uh, in political orders. It is a racist country. It is deeply entrenched in white supremacy. It pays a debt to that. You and I know that with Kyle Rittenhouse getting off without a single, a single blemish on his record, without being convicted of not near one charge, white tears cancel everything except white fears. That's what it is. So, and those are even crocodile tears, mm -hmm. fake tears, cancel out a sense of justice and an obligation to do the right thing. So you and I must continually perform a level of blackness, a level of conscience, a level of creative imagination that calls the nation to account. That's our role and responsibility. And that's one that we hope to fulfill as long as there's breath in our bodies and blood in our veins. Well, whether it's Aretha Franklin or Jay-Z, Colin Kaepernick or Tommy Smith or uh, Roz Brewer, CEO of Walgreens and uh, Barack Obama, uh, we all have to put that face on and entertain. And I would uh, suggest to uh, uh, Professor Lowry that he might want to do a little bit more than skim some of your, uh, you know, prophetic words that you've given to us over the years. Uh, Mike, always good to talk to you, brother. Always. Always great to talk to you, brother Ed. You're one of our greats. It's always good. And to talk to another brother from the D. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> what up, though? <laughs>
Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.